Let's turn the pages of our Bibles to the New Testament letter of Philippians. Philippians. And before we go into our text, may I invite us all to just bow our heads and just say a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we hallow your name this morning, for you alone are God, and there is no other God besides you. And Lord, as we desire to feast upon your word in this time, grant us illumination, for the unveiling of your word gives light. And we pray all of this in the name of him who ascended and shall return one day. Amen. We are in strange times, very strange times. Um, I look at this auditorium and people have half their faces covered. And we've been in this situation for the past year. Personally, um, in January of this year, I was hospitalized for two weeks in ICU with this virus myself. And actually, it's one of the situations where you are confronted with your own mortality. Not that you didn't know you are mortal before, but it brings it home when you're sat there and you've got tubes coursing through all parts of your body. A second night in ICU. And I've dealt with death a lot. I've carried dead bodies. I've been in drug houses, carried naked people out of crack houses and so on. But it was the first time when I turned around in the middle of the night to watch the man two beds away from me cry for his mother, cry Modimo, Modimo Sutu for God, and watch this man breathe out in front of me. It was quite a surreal experience. And I remember sitting there, and this is a man who was just a year older than myself, 48, I'm, for, I'm 47. Death is a sobering thought. And I remember sitting there thinking of, okay, um, what's my comfort at this stage? And not to sound super spiritual or holy, there was a couple of times when they were fighting for my life in that course of the two weeks I was in ICU. My only comfort at that time, I realized, was the person and the finished work of Christ. But I thought of my wife, I thought of my children, I thought I would love to one day walk my daughters, I've got four children, I'd like to walk my daughters down the aisle. And you know, of course, I've got to interview the men they're going to marry. These thoughts, I thought of Welcome Baptist Church, where I minister, APC. And I thought, genuinely, I'd like to go to Jesus, because what am I hanging around for? To give, to give the tax man more money. To go to Virgin Gym and battle with my, my waistline. And this world really doesn't have much by which it really wants to hold me. Except then I thought of my wife and children again. 
sobering thought. But it's not the first time in my life that I've been confronted with my mortality. Believe it or not, and you probably might laugh, I've been hit by a car, and I'm not talking about a tap. I'm talking where the car swung me in the air. I've been hit by a car three times. I've been in a major motor accident. I hit the wall at 160 kilometers an hour on the motorway back home in England. And then, um, what else? Jumped from a building, which I should enough, and my, one part of my leg was facing that way, and my body is facing that way, but I'm still alive. And it raises the question. You know, you've heard those gospel songs, I woke up this morning, I got out of bed, and so on and so on. But then it raised the question, what am I getting out of bed for? When God gives me another day, another week, another month, another year, what is the extra day for? What's the extra week for? What's the extra month, the extra year? What's the purpose? That I may acquire more? Purchase more houses, land, motor vehicles, watch Liverpool win another Champions League. Do not mock me. We had a bad season. But think about it. what's the purpose? To do what? What are you alive for? And these were the thoughts that came to me while lying in the bed. They were really painful. I know I make light of the whole situation, but there were painful periods where you were close to crying like a baby while in that bed because you had to sleep in awkward positions and you knew you were fighting for your life. But in those moments when you're lying there with one arm pulled this way, another arm pulled that way, and your leg is stretched this way in order to maximize the, your, the, your, your breathing, your lung capacity, so you may give yourself a chance to live, and you're lying there, you can't do anything, your body's shaking because your muscles are in a strange way that you've never been before, and you're sweating. It hits you, what are you here for? I'm here to talk about death this morning. I want to talk to you about death this morning. But I want to talk to you about death in such a way that will make you realize that life is worth living. And that's the title of my message this morning, A Life Worth Living. But what are you living for? What are you here for? Let's read our passage, Philippians chapter 1, and we're, just, we're going to read from verse 18 to 26. Philippians chapter 1, from verse 18 to 26. And it reads, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, 
whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The challenges in this letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi goes way beyond that of imprisonment and execution. The applications in this letter, I put it to us this morning, also include the ending of ambition and conceit. The application of this letter involves things like prayer, replacing anxiety. They are about moving our money from where it would do us good to where it would do gospel good. It's about overcoming painful, bitter disputes with friends. The applications found in this letter are about the most normal and most challenging areas of life. Because when we think about challenges in life and especially Christian um, um, challenges of life, we usually think about martyrs or those in prison. But what we're going to find here is very ordinary challenges. And I put it to us that these ordinary mundane challenges are the things we usually fail at. And the way Paul says to us in thinking about these things, these decisions this morning, is to think about death. It's to think about death. Now, what you find strange in Paul's discussion about death in the portion that we're looking at today is that there's nothing morbid, nothing depressing, nothing kind of <gasps> about it. But if anything, it's almost exuberance jumping out of the page that makes you question either Paul has lost his mind or there's something here you and I need to be paying attention to Paul discusses death and life because he wants the Philippians to live a full life an excellent life a life worth living. The Christian life is an abundant life. It's an excellent life. It's a life worth living. I can repeat that for purposeful effect. Yet in verse 23, look what he says in verse 23. Oh, I don't know whether to stay in this life or to, to pass on. I mean, let me ask you, brothers and sisters, when was the last time 
that you woke up, pick any time of the day, where you thought, oh golly, oh gosh, I don't know whether to stay alive in this world or, or die. But here's a man writing a letter from prison because of the gospel, and he's going, ah, oh, I don't know. I'm hard-pressed. <laughs> Let me be honest with you. Apart from when I was in the hospital, really am I hard-pressed as to whether to stay alive or not. But the Apostle Paul says he's hard-pressed. He doesn't know which to choose. The mind of such a person that says that must be quiet of. We see the apostles struggle in choosing between life and death. Paul is in no way, by the way, encouraging suicide or suicidal thoughts. There's nothing of the, of the, of the sort here. This is not the apostle's encouragement, neither is it my encouragement to anyone who may be watching or listening to this message. It's not an encouragement to suicide. But rather, it's an encouragement to live. To live a full and excellent life. But, but Paul's thesis is this full and excellent life is only found in Christ. Christians, Paul sets a challenge. Paul here says to us, rather than thinking about um, suicide, the challenge to Christians is to, is, is to those who maybe love their lives too much. Some of us Christians, we love our lives so much that sadly there's no distinction, no difference between us and non-Christians. People can't tell us apart. They can't see the difference. Because we love the same things they love. We hold on to the world in the same way they do. And yet we tell them, come, come to the Lord. Come and taste what Jesus has to offer for us. And they look at you, they look at me, and they say, what's the difference? But the challenge that Paul sets us here, if we would heed the challenge and we would respond rightly by God's grace to the challenge, we'll see that there will be a distinction, there will be a difference. Paul is speaking to those who will love their lives so much and perhaps love this life so much to the extent that they lose sight of eternity. This passage helps us to think about how we should rightly think about our lives till death comes because death will come calling one day in the past this year we know about 24 people that's passed, passed away because of COVID the 14 in the last six weeks this past week alone I, I believe four people received messages Two of them were members of our Mukonyo Distance Learning Centers. A wife, in fact, it was a husband and a wife couple that passed away within 24 hours of each other. Death will come calling. 
unexpectedly many times. And all that Paul is saying to us this morning is summed up in this way. He would prefer to die, but he wants us to live because that would be more useful for other people. And this thinking is radically against the thinking of the world, and sadly, contrary to what some churches teach. Because they shouldn't be teaching a love for the world or the things of the world. This passage, in effect, is saying, and please, I want you to remember this, prefer to die, but live to be useful. Prefer to die, but live to be useful. This is the mindset that Paul wants us to adopt and to live by. We should prefer to die, but we should live to be useful. So I suppose the crucial question to us all this morning is this. Is your life useful? Is your life a life worth living? Let's look a bit more closer at our text. Look at verse 18 to verse 20. In this passage, I want us first of all to consider the Christian's confidence in prayer. Paul, writer to this church that he's got a wonderful gospel partnership with, and a church that fills him with joy whenever he remembers them, especially in his prayer, he's saying here, listen, I'm out of confidence. I am bold, even though I am in prison, even though I am constrained. The gospel is not constrained, but I have boldness and confidence because of the partnership that I have with you guys, because I know you are praying for me. But more than that, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, let me ask you this. If you were in a situation or if you knew somebody in a particular situation that maybe they were sick or ill or had some challenges, we would sometimes pray this prayer, may the Lord deliver you out of that, whatever it may be. And it's a good prayer. In fact, when we had this couple I was telling you about a few moments ago, when they were in hospital, the husband WhatsApped us, the, the Mukanya WhatsApp group, and he asked for prayer for his wife because she'd just been ventilated, right? He was still able to talk at that time. And he, and he asked for prayers, and I saw prayers flooding in, and people, some people would say, may the Lord deliver you out of that. And when we think about deliverance in that situation, let's be honest with ourselves. What's our thinking? That God would do what? heal them or bring them out in a favorable way and so on, right? But Paul, in this text, says deliverance for him is what? Life and death. Look at the text. These aren't my words. I want us to look at, Paul says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this would turn up for my deliverance. Great, fantastic, you say. But read on. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, 
but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. And most of us will say, hopefully by life. Paul says, whether by life or by death, Christ will be honored, and I see both outcomes as deliverance. Why? <laughs> we speak so much Christianese, and we've got our Christianese glasses on, that we miss the power of what's been said. Don't jump over this text. This is, this is mind-blowing. Paul is saying, deliverance for me comes either by life or by death. Either way, it's deliverance. What an amazing brother. I, I am being honest with you. It, it takes a lot. And God working in His grace through me for me to arrive at the same conclusion as Paul. But Paul says, if I come out of this prison, praise God. If I die, praise God. So the thing is this, for you and I, especially in, in the context we find ourselves, what if deliverance is death? What if deliverance is death? This is something only the Christian can say. No one else in the whole world can say this. For the person that's not in Christ, death is just a door to even more greater suffering. But for the Christian, it's a release from the burdens of life. Paul's confidence of his deliverance. He knows there's only two outcomes, and both outcomes is a good answer to his prayer. It's a yes answer. Because Christ will be honored in his body. Either way, Christ wins. Christ gets the glory. Brothers, sisters, can you say that about yourself? Would your death bring glory to Christ? Some people die and there's scandal. We know this. We've seen it recently. Would your death bring Christ's glory? Well, let me ask you an even more pertinent question. Is your current living bringing honor and glory to Christ? Paul said, whatever the outcome, he will not be ashamed. That's false consent. In all of this, false consent is, don't want to be ashamed. So, if the, if the yes answer for Paul is deliverance, whether by life or death, and not being ashamed, what's a no answer? What's a no answer to Paul's prayer? You see, Paul's prayer and concern is that he would not be ashamed. In other words, my, 
I want to live in such a way. I'm, more, I'm not worried about dying. I'm not worried about suffering. I'm more concerned about living in such a way that brings dishonor to Christ. I'm more worried about dying a death that brings dishonor to Christ. You've heard of the phrase, dying well? That's the Apostle Paul. So Paul's concerned about not dying well. What would dying well look like? It means to carry on, pers persevering, enduring, running your race to the end till you hear the words of Christ, well done my good and faithful servant. Anything short of that is shame. And that's Paul's concern. The unfulfilled life for us today is, is to play it safe. To go on living but not to be useful for Jesus. To seek to live in your kingdom of comfort. Most of us Christians, we are all about comfort. All about acquiring Paul had no such concerns. Is that your concern? Is that my concern? Paul's mindset is this. His whole body, his life, everything that he is, wholly exists to honor Christ. And the decisions he made, in the things that he desired, his ambitions, and so on. All of these things, having ambition, working hard, having a house, car, family, and so on, they're good things. But then they should not be the things that drive us, should not be the sense of our lives, should not be what our lives are about. Our lives should be summed up in Christ and in Christ alone. So, Paul says all of this, that his readers and us by extension do not misunderstand him and deem him mad. He goes on now to expand upon what he's just been talking about. And this leads us to the next portion of this um, passage, verse 21 to 24, where Paul wants us, as a result, so that we too will not be ashamed, he wants us to consider that the, Christian, uh, uh, that the Christian is one who should live by excellent decisions, making excellent choices in life. I remember being um, some years ago now, because I've used this illustration a few times. I was at the burial site. I was performing a funeral service. And we were by the graveside. And you know, sometimes you've seen something many times, but then one day it just comes into focus and you're like, ah. Oh. I remember standing there, I've seen gravesites, you've seen grave tomb, sorry, um, tombstones many times. 
And I remember standing there looking that day. You know when people are carrying on singing and singing and singing. So they carried on singing. And I checked out because it was a hot day and I don't do well with the heat. So I remember looking to the side and something about the tombstone, I don't know what it was, struck me. But here's what struck me. I saw the birth date of this individual and then I saw their death date. But what struck me was this. This person lying in that grave, their whole life, their whole existence, whoever they were, was summed up by one little dash. That's it. That's your life and my life. One little dash. Everything you are or ever will achieve, whether you're poor or rich, black, white, educated, illiterate, your life will be summed up on a tombstone someday with a dash. The question is, what does your dash say about you? What will your dash say about you? Because right now we're all dashing. But when, when they put that dash on your tombstone, your birth date and your death date, what will it say about you? And then as I walked on, you know, now this thought comes in my mind. And I remember walking along, looking at other tombstones, and then something else struck me. I saw another tombstone, and I saw birth date, death date, but in the middle, instead of a dash, I saw a cross. You've seen that. Sometimes people put a cross in between. And I thought, how wonderful. And this verse came to mind. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. You see, if your dash is a cross, dying is gain. If your life is not summed up in Christ, dying is no gain at all. What Paul is about to flesh out for us in this section is the practical expression of what he had already written in verse 9 of chapter 1 where Paul talks about, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. In regards to discernment and knowledge about how to live, making the right choices in life, the right decisions, but decisions and choices that point to the honor of God and Christ in the believer's life. Paul says, for to me to live is to die is gain. And then verse 22, 23, it says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I would choose, I cannot tell. 
I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Simply put, Paul is asking, what is the best use of life? Think, what could be better than living for Jesus? It's a real question. It's not a, rhetor it's not a rhetorical question. What could be better than living for Jesus? Shall I tell you? Being with Jesus. Being with Jesus. That's the simple point Paul is making. For to me, to live is Christ. My life is characterized by Christ. The decisions I make, the way I dress, the way I eat, the way I live, the way I relate to people is instructed, guided by Christ. I desire the honor of Christ in all that I do, in all that I say. That I live in such a way that your conclusion of me is, this is a Jesus person. And to die is gain. But gain only, only if your dash is a cross. Dying is only gain if you're living is Christ. You see, Christians are not life-denying people. We are Christ-affirming. That's the difference. We're not life-denying. We're Christ-affirming. Why? Because true life comes in Christ. Life is beautiful. Life is fantastic. I love, I love traveling through this continent. I love traveling around the world, actually. There's so much beauty. I love meeting with people. I love food. Does it tell? I love food of different countries. I'll try at least once from locusts to snakes and crocodiles. I've tried it. Lovely. Life can be great. I love music. This morning I was listening to um, Mozart's um, clarinet concerto. Life colors. There's much to enjoy in this life. But I only enjoy it as I understand who made it and for what purpose he made it. Is that his kingdom may come in and that we may give him worship. So because of time, I must move on swiftly and shorten a few things. But notice Paul goes on to say in verse 24 but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account Paul is saying the only reason why I want to stay on is because of you because of you it's more needed for you and this falls within what Paul's going to as said and will say in the letter we're not to be self-absorbed or like James warns us against, to be conceited and be about ourselves, Paul says, live for other people. Put other people's interests first. So when I live, I'm not just living to 
throw myself up and just for my own comfort. We're not called to a life of comfort. Christian, comfort is not your goal. It's not our goal. No one's promised that. Jesus, in defining disciple, his disciple, does not say, seek comfort, fill your life with comfort, then follow me. But what does he say? You must first do what? Deny yourself, take up your cross, which, by the way, before you get crucified, you suffered for quite a while. And the crucifixion itself is quite a bit of suffering, don't you think? So, and notice as well, the, the, the grammar in, the, in that verse is not something done to you in such a way that you have no decision in it, but rather, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, is you being deliberate, intentional, and purposeful in choosing a life that's characterized by self-denial and possibly suffering. This is not something where something's done to me I have no control over. No! Choose! Decide to live in such a way. And follow me. And I'm going to move on to the final point. And all of this, Paul is saying, is about the Christian's excellent life. A life worth living. Verse 26 and 20, um, verse 25, 26. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. They may have ample cause to, to rejoice to, for the glory of Christ Jesus. Why? Because as a result of Paul staying on and ministering to them, while that's the example given this, we can flesh this out in many other ways. And when we think about this kind of life that Paul's talking about, usually people think about martyrs, like I said earlier, people in prison for the gospel and so on. But like I said to you at the beginning, I put it to us, Paul wants us to consider more the mundane things of life. I love reading about brothers and sisters who have been martyred, who suffered for the gospel, amazing men and women through the ages. But I put it to us that this, rather what Paul wants us to be about, is, you see, most Christians will not face martyrdom. Most Christians will not face martyrdom. If, that, if Paul was about martyrdom, then this would not, would not apply to you and me. You know what I find difficult? Whether to get up early and pray. Pray for the church, pray for my wife and children. Especially when it's cold and you put your, your foot out of the duvet and you feel the cold air and the cold floor. And you think, another five minutes in bed. 
You know what we struggle with? Getting along with one another. You know, I'll suffer for Jesus in some far Muslim country. But somebody steps on your foot on the way out of the chapel and you want to knock their block off. This is us. This is what Paul's talking to. I believe Paul's talking about whether they will speak out to defend the gospel in their workplace because it could mean losing your job or being laughed at at university for being a Jesus freak. It's whether they will give their money to support the work of the gospel or to fund another church plant or buy an extra house by the seaside. I believe these are the things Paul's talking to. How am I, how are you doing spiritual good to the other brother and sister? How are we building God's kingdom? I saw out there in your foyer, brilliant, your mission, church planting, all over this continent. It's amazing. And may the Lord increase you as you do so. These are the things Paul's talking to. Are we living the excellent life? Do we see our office, school, as a place to serve Jesus? Is it a great opportunity to speak or an opportunity to get sacked or reprimanded? An opportunity to speak and be thought weird or an opportunity to hide and be left alone? Do we see our fellowship as an opportunity to serve Christ by loving and serving one another or seek to serve ourselves? Do we see our living as an opportunity to arrange our lives around upon Jesus Christ or live for our own glory and desires? Do you see today as an opportunity to do someone some spiritual good or it's just another day? for you to lift yourself. I close. My question when I was in hospital was, if I get out of this bed and of this hospital, what am I living for? I had to go home, talk to my wife, apologize to my family, look at the church, how can I better serve them, be a shepherd? They're not cattle to, to be driven. They're sheep to be served and must follow your, your good example. And so on and so on. My children, how am I discipling them? How am I living to build them up, to show Christ to them? As I serve their mother and I serve them, rather than being a bully in the house. What are you living for? So God gives me an extra year, two, three, maybe another 20 years, who knows? But what will it be for? Because it cannot be for more of the same thing. So ch church, will we lay down our lives? Will we surrender our bodies? Will we surrender our time? Will we surrender our finances? Will we surrender all for the sake of Christ 
will we live for Christ a life worth living? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for our time together this morning. What a blessing it is to be part of the body of Christ. Because it pleased you in eternity past to decree that at the appointed time, wretched beings like ourselves will come to know this great salvation. And we are the recipients, the beneficiaries of your loving grace. Lord, help us in all we've heard and considered this morning, especially in light that you will come again. Lord, help us ask each other, how then should we live? Grant us by the same grace by which we are saved and by your eternal spirit to live for you, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following you and you alone, to your glory alone. In your matchless and mighty name we pray. Amen.